You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Freaking first cut. Golly! Welcome to the First Cut Podcast. I'm Rick Gaiman, and this is your DFS preview for this week's Shriners Children's Open. Joining me to break it all down, Greg Ducharme is here. Greg, happy Monday. Happy Monday. Happy Columbus Day. Um, so anyway, how's everything going? Things are good. Things are good here. Uh, yeah. Excited for this week. Love the fall series, um, especially for DFS purposes. Which is why I mean this. I love this show this time of year. Yeah, th these are our guys in the field. There are guys. There are guys. This is a home game for me. I'm excited. I'll 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 be out there. I'll uh, set foot for the first time uh, tomorrow. I'll go out to the course and start seeing what's happening. I, I'll spare you the uh, dropping the ball in the rough videos because I can assure you there is no rough. You won't be able to tell the difference. No, you could make a, you could make a spoof video out of it, but. Uh, it's going to be pretty cool. So are you close enough, Rick, to, you know, are you, is it close enough to just go home instead of going to a media center for any of your obligations or, or yes. what? Yeah. So we're like 10 minutes away. Oh. Um, yeah. It's so real home game. Correct. Right. Yeah. Big, big time, big time. It, it is actually, so the way that they want the media, I won't, I won't give out the details, but they want us to go to a, a specific location and then shuttle into the golf course. That would, that's like out of my way to do that. Like to go <laughs> to the, the media hotel and shuttle in. So, uh, I've got a, I've got a different plan that I'll try to, that I'll try to do. But yeah, it's, it's very, very close. This is of course I'm, I'm, I'm quite familiar with. This is, I mean, this is where I get my lessons out of. Like I'm like, this is my spot. This is it. Well, yeah. Hey, welcome home. It's a rare thing in the game of golf. Um, yes. so, Hey, I'm sure you got some great, great course info as well. Well, I don't play it from the same place as those guys do. Uh, I, I know all the places you should definitely not hit your golf ball into the desert. I'm very familiar with with those. But no, it is it is cool. It's 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 TPC Summerlin. We'll jump. We'll just jump right into this, Josh. If you want to share my screen, um, this is a course that is a, a staple on the on the on the schedule. We get it every single year. Tom Kim is the defending champion, and it's a golf course that's going to play like a vintage uh, a vintage desert golf course, Greg. Where you're going to have to try to keep it out of the rocks, keep it in play, and you are going to need a lot of birdies. A couple of years ago, I think it was two or three years ago, they set the record for the, the lowest score to par to make the cut. I think it was like seven under to make the cut. So if you're if you're not moving forward, you're getting lapped here. Yes. Now, there have been cases where the, there's been some wind that has made it a little more difficult, but that's rare. I mean, pretty much every year, this is an ultimate birdie fest. Um, you mentioned keeping it out of the rocks. And yes, that's important, but there's a lot of opportunity, ample opportunity to do that. Uh, the landing areas for, I mean, maybe not at your level, Rick, but at the PGA Tour level, 
there is ample space to keep it out of the desert. Yeah. And it's just, it's just not one of the more difficult golf courses really at any level. Um, you know, you look at the off the tee level and it's not that difficult. The approach play is not that difficult. The putting is not that difficult. Maybe short game can get a little difficult yeah. at times, but you have a short golf course, uh, you know, 70, 7,200 yards and change at altitude yep. and par 71. So it plays really short and it turns into what I would call a wedge and a, and ultimately a putting contest. And I think that's why when you look at, if you're watching on YouTube at Rick's website here, it's a, a correlation that skews strongly to strokes game putting being very difficult. Yeah. And you, I mean, just anecdotally start thinking about the guys that have had a lot of success here, or the guys that, that win you're a hundred percent, right? I mean, 7,200 yards on a par 71 at 2000 feet of altitude is short, right? It's just, right. and, and then also, by the way, you're in the desert and the ball runs. So you're getting, you're getting the best of everything distance wise, which is why some of the, the shorter hitters have absolutely found a way to contend here. Then you're going to hit wedges into larger than average greens and what do you get greg it's a putting contest right and, and that and that is contest. a true a true putting contest and um yeah see how see how deep you can take it the difference between you know a three-quarter lob wedge and a three-quarter sand wedge <laughs> is a lot smaller than a six iron and a nine iron right as opposed yeah. to what you can do coming into the green you can access whole locations you can get the ball close with your three-quarter lob wedge and your three-quarter sand wedge. Now, of course, it's still it's always an advantage to have distance because your proximities are, uh, on average, going to get closer the closer you get. We know that. But it, it still gives guys the opportunity who are a little shorter to hit a lot of wedges in. And, and oftentimes, the guys that are a little shorter are the better wedge players. They, they have an opportunity to really make up for that um, that distance discrepancy they normally wouldn't. The other thing that I want to consider here, and we'll use uh, Ludwig Oberg as the as the example. You know, he is such a long, straight driver of the golf ball. Do, when you look at a golf course like this that does have the ample space, it is not very long. Obviously, he's still going to be great off the tee, but. Does that lessen his greatest weapon to it? Like, is that almost not that it's worrisome, but it, it would almost be more exciting for Ludwig if this was long and tight? <laughs> yes, exactly. And typically, great drivers of the golf ball start to do better as golf courses get more difficult. Think U.S. Opens, mm. right? U.S. Opens typically lend themselves to the guys that are really long. Because they have this advantage where they can separate themselves. Golf courses with a really big penalty for missing fairways all of a sudden benefit guys who keep it in play and, and don't really hit it into those areas of trouble for most of the field. So, yes, the advantage is reduced, uh, but it, it doesn't necessarily take away his ability to compete and score. You know, that's a, it, it's not like he, he's getting the legs chopped out from under him. But what happens when you look at strokes gain numbers, and, and you can certainly speak to this as well, Rick, strokes gain approach is in, in a way a product of what happens off the tee. Sure. And if you're hitting it into serious trouble, you can generate some pretty good strokes gain approach numbers 
without, um, you know, hitting it really close. Whereas when you hit it really long and in the fairway, quite often, you're the the average gets a lot closer, so it, it gets harder to gain strokes approaching the green in a way, if that makes sense. And I think we've seen that a little bit with Ludwig through his career, um, but it does seem like his approach play is starting to kind of catch up to his off the tee game, which is he's scary. Very scary. It's very scary. One other thing that I will note is that this is now, it's basically been a full year since they replaced all those greens and fairways. And it, we had a pretty moderate summer relatively, trust me, it was still hot in Vegas this summer, but like not as bad as it could have been. And I was out there a couple weeks ago. This place is mint, Greg, you know, when like you first get new fairways and greens and like, they might be a little bit bouncy. You're trying to figure out what's going like it is. It is very mint right now, like 13 months after after the install. It's just perfect. You know, the, when I was at, at Metalist, I was there for three years. And after the first year, they redid the whole golf course. New, new design, new fairways, new greens. And the second year, it was, I mean, still mint by all accounts. <laughs> right. But it was so fast. Yeah, it was it was mind boggling. The way you had to play that golf course was insane. I mean, you'd be looking at a forty yard wide fairway with a subtle movement to the left, and you're worried about a run out that's at like three forty, which right. is, I mean, maybe an issue for Ludwig Oberg, but no, you know, not for me. That it's like you feel like if you hit it a degree offline, it's just going to run into the palmetto bushes. <laughs> and then the the second year. It was maybe the best golf, the best condition golf course I've ever seen. It was still firm, but you know, reasonable, and it it was just so fun to play. The color of the grass was phenomenal. It was mint, and and that's what you're getting this year. Yeah, that's that's where we're at right now at TPC Summerlin. So it's 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 sick. All right, let's uh, jump into this field. We will go uh, from the top of the board down all the way to the bottom. And we'll do that after a quick word from our partners. Did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them take the first step? The reason? Building a business is tough. Taylor Brands is simplifying the business journey. From launching and managing to growing your business, Taylor Brands isn't just another tool. It's your online business partner from launch to success. With Taylor Brands, building your dream business becomes an effortless experience. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, ensuring you have everything you need in one place. From LLC formation to bookkeeping, invoicing to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account, Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using our link, taylorbrands.com slash Sports. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash CBS Sports. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands. And we're back. Here's the cheat sheet on rickrungood.com. And Greg, there are four golfers over $10,000. Ludwig at 11000 Our defending champion, Tom Kim, is ten nine. Cam Davis, ten three, And JT Poston at an even $10,000. The ascension for Ludwig continues uh, playing in... Uh, college earlier this year and now the most expensive golfer and favorite uh, in a PGA tournament. Yes, it's uh, been quite a quick rise. But when you look at this profile, you really understand why. Um, 
even if you've been following the NFL a little bit more than the game of golf lately, and you haven't seen Ludwig play in person, he's worth watching and and worthy of the highest price uh, mark here in this field. This is a game that is getting more and more complete. It is a absolute weapon off the tee, um, which is just incredible. And and it seems like he didn't play that well last week and loses in a playoff. You know, so things are really looking good for him. Yeah, he lost strokes putting last week, just a just a hair, finished runner up. He won uh the European Masters just a couple of starts ago. It, it he he was ready the second he turned pro, and he is proving that to everyone. So at eleven thousand dollars, he is the most expensive golfer. Tom Kim's lurking here, Greg, at 10-9. And I'm really interested to kind of see what the industry does with these two. Cause obviously we love a good shiny object and, and Ludwig is new and he's shiny and he's sexy and he's cool and he's got everything. And Tom Kim is quietly playing the best golf that he has played since he won this event last year. And I like that he continued to play after the tour championship. He played twice in September on the DP world tour. I, I think Tom Kim is very, very live to contend this week. Well, the one issue for Tom Kim is that driving distance, um, which we've already talked about not being an issue here this week. The other thing that was an issue last year for Tom Kim, after you know a lot of the comments, you know he was the next best thing and uh, was going to win every other week on the PGA Tour for the whole year. The putting really kind of slipped. Yeah, and that was surprising. He's so young; you don't really know what he is as a player. And so you're wondering, okay, is he a team no puck guy? Well, in his last seven events, he's gained strokes putting in all of them, albeit you have a tour championship and you have a couple DP world tour events. So there's some um, maybe asterisks, if you will, but the signs are, Hey, there's still some really good putting going on. He's one of the best wedge players in this field, which is going to be very important this week. And, I don't know what the industry will do. I guess the way I would describe this $10,000 bucket is um, I'm okay with pretty much all of them. I really am. I there, There's not a guy that I would cross off this list, but where the industry goes, that may be the thing that gets me to kind of zag one way. Cause I, I love the idea of playing Ludwig. I love the idea of playing Tom Kim as well. And even Cam Davis has looked phenomenal, and um, and JT Poston seems like a great course fit as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, JT Poston has that that dual uh, skill set: the approach and the putting. If both of those that that's kind of how you win some of these birdie fests. Are you at all concerned about Cam Davis uh, using his? We we have a desert club out here, Greg. Usually, if you if you rent a club or if you rent a set, they spray paint an eight iron red. That's what they want you to use out of the desert. Don't scuff up and don't ding up our, our brand new titleists. And if you play out here in the desert, you usually carry a 15th club that you can whack in there. If you, if you hit it in, are you worried that Cam Davis is going to have to be using his desert club this week? Uh, not too much. Cause I don't know. If, does he have to hit driver? See, that's, that is, this is the great, like being three layers deep where everyone realizes you can't be in the desert. 
Then you look at it and you say, okay, well, also it's it's pretty generous in some spots. So it can be hard to get to the desert. But also the third layer is that if you're long enough, you don't necessarily have to hit the clubs that will bring the desert into play, which is the Cam Davis thing that we're trying to figure out. Hey, you think about some of the golf courses where Cam Davis has had tremendous success. Fortinet, very narrow. Well, that's a driver-heavy golf course. So it probably does not necessarily stand out. Um, Memphis, a shorter golf course with a lot of water, uh, a lot of big no-no trouble. You think about... Um, Twin Cities. You, you think about the RBC Heritage, um, yeah. an, another course where he had some success. You kind of go through this resume of his, and a lot of his success comes on short golf courses where you have to be kind of careful off the tee. Now, I know he won the Rocket Mortgage, um, and, and I know we talked about Fortinet being a perfect venue for him because there's not a lot of trouble off the tee. You feel like he could kind of air it out. I trust his game to avoid that stuff. I, I think he's shown throughout his career, uh, at least since he's come, really come onto the um, DFS kind of community's radar, he's shown an ability to play smart and avoid trouble scenarios and kind of play courses that don't seem like a great course fit and make them a great course fit. So I, I trust his game and I'm not too worried about the desert club. So I, 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 I am worried, but you're absolutely right in the sense that his results at some of these more, I don't know, precision spots off the tee. They're good results. So I guess he's, kind of making me eat my words along the way. So the way that I see this, I think, um, you know, statistically Ludwig is uh, the best statistical player in the field. I'm interested to see how Tom Kim gets treated with that uh, in mind. And then I probably give JT post in a hair of a, a, a lean over Cam Davis, but you're right. I mean, these guys are, they're 10 K it's hard to go wrong up here. Yeah, I, I would, I wouldn't sway either way. I could see JT posting over Cam Davis because of the little price break. Um, I, I totally see that. I just, I love where Cam Davis is with his game right now. I think he's really complete uh, and deserving of that third spot. So, you know, perhaps you look at what the projected ownership is. Um, you make a decision based on that, who you think will be the least popular. If there's a pivot play that you like, and the other option would be you build the rest of your lineup first and you see who kind of fits in there best price-wise. The 9K range. This is kind of a little bit of an awkward range for me. Um, I'm not sure that they are inherently a lot better than the guys in the 8K range, yet you have to pay for it. But it's Siwoo Kim, Eric Cole, Nikolai Hoygaard, Emiliano Grillo, Adam Hadwin, and then we round it out with Adam Shank and Lucas Herbert. There, Don't get me wrong. There are certainly guys I like here, Greg, but I feel... I feel weird in this spot. I'm not. I'm looking for a little guidance. Well, I'll give you some guidance. Um, what style of golf is this, Rick? <laughs> okay, so I'll just pull up Adam Hadwin's. <laughs> 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 so, so what Greg is getting at is that this is desert golf, and the man who I have up on the screen right now, aka the Desert Fox, Adam Hadwin, and Greg, take it away from here. Well, look at this. Go to pull up the course history, okay? Because you look at that main page of his recent form, and it doesn't look great. And I'll get to that. But you pull up this course history, first time here in 2014, 
it was a T10. Uh, you, you look at 2019, you got a T4, 2021, a T6, another T10 last year. He just seems to get it. He missed the cut in 2015. Other than that, his worst finish is a T34. Yeah. Now, what I love about this, beyond the cute Desert Fox name and you know my affinity for Adam Hadwin that we all know, look at what he's done putting here. Yes. I mean, he's, he's gained over a stroke and a half every single year on never, the greens. Never, never lost, and the gains are significant. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, 1.82 strokes putting is his worst performance mm-hmm. on the greens here. So that makes me feel really good. Now, if you look back at this performance of recent, maybe this is the biggest concern. He's had a lot of time off uh, and he hasn't played since the BMW championship. And I, I kind of look at those last two events where you see some red, you see some concerning elements in the ball striking. And I, I throw those out because it's you're talking about August 20th was the last event he played at the BMW. And it's very easy to kind of explain away some of those weak performances in the playoffs i actually yeah the way the way he finished time off was probably a good thing so great right get 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 rested up get ready to rock and roll and get back on a on a golf course that that suits you very well i'll uh i'll see your adam and raise you another adam which is shank and he has been a little bit of a roller coaster where he's kind of all over the place but he is piling up these top 10 finishes he's got six of them in his last 11 starts and his history around TPC Summerlin is very good as well. 12th, third, 27th and 18th in the last four years. I think that, um, you know, guys like this and shank shank rates. Okay. But when you look at just averages, he kind of gets hurt on averages because he, I mean, there's two events here where he goes, gains 11 strokes and gives seven back the next week. Right. And then he might gain 11 again and lose five. So his averages don't necessarily jump off the screen, but when you look at his good weeks, his good weeks are really, really good. Yes. And it it makes him a really viable um, DFS play. Yeah. And you get the sense that he's hunting for a win and he's had a little bit of time off too. He played the tour championship. Adam Hadwin did not. Um, But I think I think time off with a new baby at home and and a motivation to go get uh, go get a, a win on the PGA Tour, which he was as close as ever this year. He really was, and and um, I, I think we're looking at a big year ahead for Adam Adam Shank. So he was the other name I wrote down, the two Adams. But Rick, I, I think there's one other guy in this range that we have to talk about. Oh, um, okay. Do I, I want to not play in the Ryder cup? Oh, Eric Cole. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So I had narrowed it down to Eric Cole and Nikolai Hoygaard. So once you yeah. said he hadn't played in the Ryder cup, I knew where we were. I knew where we were going here. Eric Cole. All right. It, it feels to me like this might be a trap. <laughs> I didn't write his name down. My initial report. But you start looking at course fit, he's the top name, start thinking about and talking about what's the most important. Mm-hmm. And Eric Cole's ringing in my head. Yeah. Why didn't I write his name down? Uh, you know, this is 
really, really good stuff, but we liked him last week. I know Patrick and I liked him last week. Uh, he was on my betting card and it's a T35. So it feels like a really weak performance out of him, but I, I think it might be a mistake to overlook his strengths in a tournament like this and, and not take a guy who can get so hot on the greens, mm-hmm. who's such a great iron player or wedge player. There is a, I know this is very anecdotal, but there is something about the mini tour guys, the corn fairy guys, where they are obligated to go low every single day. And they know how to hold their breath. They know how to make a lot of birdies. I don't care what, it's a skill. It's a skill to go low. And and Eric Cole possesses that skill. It, it, he'll just keep on going. But you know, he's used to, sprints whether whether it's a one-day tournament a a monday qualifier uh a a two-day mini tour event you know whatever whatever it is those are absolute sprints and he's won over 50 of them yeah so uh, the t35 kind of takes me off like yeah i i I don't want to go to eric cole again because it feels like as you start getting a lot of birdie fests his name always comes up and what I realized after my initial research is it should always come up. So I'm, I'm very pro Eric Cole here this week. He hasn't missed a cut since colonial and he's got a lot of decent finishes in there as well. Fourth of the Fortnet, just at the start of this fall. Uh, listen, I get it. I'm not, I'm not deterred much by that, by that 35th. Um, I think Hoygaard's interesting. I think he's kind of more volatile than, than most here. Um, and then I worry about Grillo. He's been really struggling and he's never been able to figure out TPC Summerlin. So this, this nine K range in general is a little bit awkward, Greg. I think the eights are, are actually much more appetizing. Um, especially if you love the 10, you love the 10 K range. The yeah. problem for me, Rick, is my hands are kind of tied with uh, the Desert Fox being in the nine case. Yeah, you're, a, you're handcuffed to the, to the desert. <laughs> All right, we'll continue this conversation, talk about the eights, the seven, the sixes, and a $6,100 uh, history maker in the field for this week. But first, we're going to take a quick break and hear a word from our partners. And we're back. The eights. Yeah, these are our guys, right? JJ Spawn, Aaron Rye, Vincent Norman, Tom Hoagie at the top. Alex Smalley sits in the middle. And then we round it out with our most recent winner, Luke List. Then Andrew Putnam, Adam Svensson, Bo Hostler, Christian Bezadenhout, and Mark Hubbard. Yeah, okay. These are these are the dudes. These yeah. are the DFS dudes, Greg. Where do you want to start? Yeah, the, this is one list where... If you're just writing down possible names, you're trying to, you know, le- find reasons to leave guys out. <laughs> so I'll just throw a couple names at you. Uh, I like JJ Spawn. I like Tom Hoagie. I'm interested in Andrew Putnam. I like Mark Hubbard. And my Eric Cole of the 8K range is probably Adam Svensson. Doesn't feel fair to leave him out either. Um, so th- somewhere in those five guys, I think there's there's a real winner, but why don't we just start at, um, yeah. Why don't we just start with Adam yeah. Svensson? Well, well, listen, there's a very, like a, a core of Adams could go a long way this week. Hadwin shank Svensson throw in Adam long. If you're feeling frisky, those are the only Adams in this field, but I, I, I certainly start Svensson's name as well. And the T 16 at Sanderson farms was fine. 
but it still left a lot of room for improvement and a lot of juice to squeeze out of this. He lost a stroke and a half on approach, Greg, when he had been gaining routinely multiple strokes on approach every single week. All, you know, quote, all we need to do is have him kind of give us one of those performances from the BMW championship back five or six starts, combine it with everything else that he did last week and Adam Svensson's making noise. Yeah, you kind of look at this and you just shift some blocks around. It's yeah. very easy to get a you know a solid straight like children's game, right? Where you just have yeah. to solve the puzzle, move one piece at a time. I, I've solved the winning puzzle. It's Adam right. Spencer. I move this approach over here, that approach over there, and we're good. We got a winner. Yeah. I, I like what he's been doing on the greens, which and I like what he did on the greens last week. And I think that's a really good sign. So um and, and he similar to Eric Cole it feels like this should be a great spot for him. Uh, it feels like he should be really getting after it with wedges. The one concern is his record here is bad, bad. Are yeah, we like, yeah. Bad. What level of concern? So, so 2018, he missed the cut. I don't care about that. 2011 or excuse me, 2021 and 2022. So each of the last two years, he has, uh, been objectively bad. And a lot of that comes from poor putting, um, we've seen him struggle off the tee here, but the putting is the one thing I'm, I would hope if I'm in a pro play Adam Svensson, I'd hope he can turn that around because he's a better putter than he was during those weeks. I'm not sure there's really a strong case to be made for that. So it might be a, it might be a level of concern, it, but the good news, there are plenty of places to go to pivot. Yeah, I mean, you you were you were rattling them off there. Um, let's go to Hubbard because Hubbard has started his fall very strong. Seventeenth in Napa, sixth last week, and he made your list of names that you were saying are are worth a a deeper look and potentially a, a click or two. Yeah, you see what happened with the approach play last week. Yeah, right? he gains over six and a half strokes approaching the green, um, but you really got to take a little bit of a deeper look at this because it goes back to, you know, April. And that's when he started working with a new coach. And they, he, that, that is the area that he improved and it lasted all year and it's lasted into the fall. And, and Mark Hubbard has become a better iron player. It's no longer a, a hot streak, right? We don't have to play the, we don't have to play that game shift into, you know, hoping for a good iron play week. It's, it's fairly reliable at this point. And the putting has been absolutely adequate as well. It, it has been no concern until you get to late Sunday on the 16th hole. Um, you know, it hasn't been a concern other than that. And the record here is okay. Uh, but I just, I think he's a better player now at this point this year than he has been in the past. So I, I don't look at that record and say, this is just terrible. He doesn't like the golf course. I just don't think he was that good. <laughs> and I do now. So I, I'm, I'm very interested. Um, the one that I'll throw out there, I mean, the, the Scandinavians are taking over golf. Vincent Norman, uh, no different. Winner at the Irish Open, winner at the Barbasol. He's been playing well. He played after the PGA Tours FedEx Cup playoffs wrapped up. All the firepower in the world, all the raw talent in the world. We are starting to see him 
get everything in order, get everything in line. And I'm just, I'm just mostly interested in what the next, I feel, I feel the same way about Vincent Norman as I did about probably Sahith a year or 18 months ago, which is like, you can see how talented he is. I have no idea what it's going to look like, but I'm buying stock for the next 12 months. It's not as clear as, you know, Ludwig where you say, okay, right. This guy's a robot with a driver in his hands. Um, he's he's a fine driver of the ball but you're just not sure what that kind of fingerprint is going to look like so it's a really good comparison it's a really good example because he's capable in every area yeah and it's a matter of putting it together we just got to move some green pieces replace some red places Uh, but but it's all there which is a really good sign so yeah i don't feel as committed to that one because i don't quite know but that might be you know, that might be my problem. Yeah, he might. Uh, Vincent Norman's going to make everyone a lot of money if you can figure out what week uh, those weeks are. And you're not going to see them coming. And good luck. That's right. That's the way Vincent Norman is. Are you interested in all going back to our uh, Luke list now accomplished putter? Um, it always worries me. It's a It's a rule violation. Now, I like what I saw out of him. Love what I saw on the greens, and I like what I've seen over a period yes. over a period of time on the greens. Is this enough? Four gains and pretty significant ones in his last five starts to say Luke List, even if it's even if it's from bad to not as bad, is an improved putter. He has found something. There is something different going on. Or are we walking into the loose Luke List bear trap where he was basically pedestrian? On approach last week, which by the way, there's only like seven guys in the last two years that have won gaining as few strokes on approach as he did last week, who gets himself into a wonky playoff, rolls in a 42 footer at the right time and steals a victory. What am I walking into the ultimate bear trap? If you remove the win, you take away the um, you take away the name and you take away the results and you just look at the stats. I don't think this would be a guy in comparison with the other players around him in his range that you would like. Um, it, it, this looks like too much lean on short game and putting. You know, and that could be concerning. Now, when you add the name to it and you know the history on and around the greens, it, it becomes really concerning. I do think he's really worked on it. I do. And I think he's really gotten better at it. So I'm not, you know, out on Luke List long term. But I, I'm very worried about throwing him into a birdie fest kind of situation. Yeah. Sunday was not a birdie fest at, at the Sanderson Farms. It, it played tough. Uh, maybe it was just the pressure the guys were facing and they were struggling. It seemed like everyone kind of got allergic to the lead a little bit. But um, but the golf course was definitely firm and fast. So I just worry about throwing him in there, especially when you have you know Tom Hoagie sitting right there just a couple hundred dollars more than hoagie hoagie might be the guy hoagie i I think he is hoagie might be the guy so so what do we know about tom hoagie is that when he's playing well he is one of the best wedge players on earth uh we know that he is a, a good enough putter to win on the pga tour and we know that he has had great success around this golf course and it hasn't always been like that he slumped basically for for much of 2023 but when you get good tom hoagie 
which we're kind of getting right now. He's really da- I, like I. I think I'm. I think Hoagie might win this. He went and played after a, you know disappointing season on the PGA Tour. He goes and plays the Irish Open, the BMW PGA, uh, and now he's played the Sanderson Farms. It, it, Tom Hoagie said, "No, this isn't. I don't deserve time off." I got to go figure something out. And guess what he's done? He's figured it out. You're talking about at the BMW PGA gains eight strokes approaching the green. Is that just a DP world tour thing? No, comes back to the Sanderson farms last week gains over five and a half. That's the strength that Tom Hoagie. I think he's got it locked in and he's heading to a course. He's really comfortable with. I mean, sign me up. Yeah, this is a good a good convergence of of trends. Anybody else? Also, I will note this. So Tom Hoagie's eighty seven hundred dollars on DraftKings. So he is basically the fifteenth or sixteenth most expensive golfer. Uh, he is currently sporting the fifth, sh- fourth shortest odds to win this golf tournament. So wow, sports books and or betters uh, have gotten to the point where. They are much higher on Tom Hoagie than his than his DraftKings salary is, which is an interesting kind of sign. I you know, agree. Vegas knows something. Uh, where are we this week? Oh, Vegas. What does Tom Hoagie like to do? Shoot craps. <laughs> Loves it. So, why do you think Tom Hoagie does well in Vegas? Because this dude's got a crap t- craps table on every corner, and, and he's, he's just walking. He's already he's playing with house money. Yeah. He's, Not craps. He's playing golf with us, buddy. <laughs> he's 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 winning on the course. He's winning off the course. He's throwing darts. He's throwing dice. It's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. He's Tom. just he's just competing for seven for for four days straight. More, <laughs> yeah, five days straight. Who knows? He might have gotten in Friday night. It, it Probably did. A full week of competition. Why wouldn't you come he early? Can't Tom. get enough. Love it. Uh, 7K range, pretty sizable. Start with uh, Garrick, Higo, Justin Sud, Davis Thompson, Doug Gim, a couple of Vegas guys in that group. The middle is basically your Matt Wallace's, Sam Stevens, Akshay Batia's. And then the bottom of the 7K range, Greg, uh, Chad Ramey, David Lipsky, Kevin Yu, et cetera, et cetera. How would you like to attack the sevens? It's almost like it, it. it's so big. You know, it feels like the everybody in the field is at 7,100. <laughs> you know, it's an enormous um, breakdown of players here. So you kind of got to divvy it up a little bit. I'd say up near the top, I'm a fan of... Um, I just want to make sure that I'm saying guys that are near the top here. Uh, I'm a fan of Saw Thompson. And then I think I go down a little bit to the lower end here and I get into where's Peter, where's Peter quest. Yeah. 72. So there's a couple guys in the lower that I like uh, Peter quest. I'm interested in Martin Laird and, and Chad Ramey. All of those guys I'm, I'm very interested in. Well, I'll tell you what, Justin Sup plays out of Summerlin all the time. Uh, he is also that move the puzzle pieces guy around. He does gain seven strokes in Napa ball striking and loses putting for the first time since I won't even say the match play because that's a wonky one since the Honda Classic. This dude never loses strokes putting. And let's just marry a couple of those things together. So Justin's uh, uh, and obviously very familiar with the golf course. Um, 
I'll pull up Peter Quest's profile here because I think he's a pretty interesting case study as well, Greg. You know, he is a, a fairly accomplished and proven ball striker in this kind of short run that we've that we've had from him, and he can get absolutely scorching on the greens. Yeah, I mean, he he will have off weeks, and now we're down at seventy two hundred here, so it, it, it's so you know you're rolling the dice a little bit. Okay, um, we're in Vegas, so that's a great pun to use. But you look at what he can do when he putts well, and he will gain over three strokes. If he putts poorly, he's going to lose more than three. And his results kind of follow that. So I, I love what he can do with his iron play, uh, and I'm very impressed with how hot he can get on the greens. I, I could see Peter Quest peppering this golf course with greens of regulation and just giving himself a mountain of birdie looks which is exactly what you want. And uh, at 7,200, he feels like a very reliable player to have on the lower end of your lineup. Would you like to make a, make a prediction at how Ben Griffin will respond to shoulda, woulda, coulda victory mm -hmm. at uh, the chicken championship? Ah, these are hard. These are so hard for me. It, it's such a, Difficult thing because what you see is a guy who lost his golf swing and did he lose it just on Sunday? It got exaggerated on Sunday. That's for sure. But it, you know, he didn't drive it all that great on Saturday either. And the size of those misses, it almost takes the, this is where I worry about the desert club. Oof. You know? Yeah, buddy. Um, and we're so early in the season, you know, we haven't had a ton of opportunity to watch Ben Griffin play. And what we've seen is him getting contention, which gives us the chance to watch him. And we've seen him spray it. So I'm probably staying away. Might be the wrong play, but he's a sprayer. Yeah, he's a he's a he's a big time sprayer. OK, um, let's see what else. OK, if if Adam Hadwin is the desert fox, Martin Laird is the desert dog. Right. I mean, he he has been phenomenal at desert courses, including here at TPC Summerlin, where he's won not once, but twice, 2009, yeah. 2020. I I generally just avoid these situations. Like if you're just going to play well in the desert once a year, I don't really care because it's I don't know. It's been, it's actually his pro profile is actually better than I thought it was going to be. It I is. I know. And he's one of the guys I mentioned down here. I wouldn't call him the desert Fox. I'd probably call him the Vegas Viper. Ooh, uh, yeah. Nice. Or, or maybe the Summerlin snake. Oh, <laughs> Greg, you're hired, bud. Uh, but I, I like the profile as well. Uh, the ball striking has been adequate. The finishing positions are you know, a little substandard. It's very pale. And it's, if it, if it weren't for this course history, he might be the pale play of the week. Mm. But the course history is phenomenal. He puts it great here. He hits, it, for some reason, just loves hitting it at the flag here. I can't remember who he beat in 2020, but I remember, uh, I remember having a ticket on that guy and losing, a lot of or not losing a lot of money, but not cashing and being like Martin. I'm gonna get beat by Martin Laird right yeah. now. Yeah, the Vegas Viper. <laughs> 2020 Shriners. God, who would that have been? Oh, maybe it was Matt Wolf. 
He beat Matt Wolf in a playoff. That had to have been it. Because Wolf oh. had those like he played well at Summerlin, maybe maybe it was 2020 and 2021 or 2019 and 2020. I don't remember, but it must yeah, have been that makes cool. sense. It was a Martin Laird, Matthew Wolf, Austin Cook playoff. Wow, that's right. I remember that. And I'm like, I'm gonna lose to this guy. I'm gonna lose to freaking Martin Laird. Right yep. Now. It happened. Maybe this year you can win with him. I lo- I like the profile. There's nothing glare. There's no glaring issues. I think this is a guy who's playing some really good golf. Um, and, and now coming to a place where I think the results will match the good golf that he's playing. I just quickly want to look at Troy Merritt's profile. I, I just saw that he's got two top tens already this year. Seventh yeah. at Fortinet, ninth at Sanderson. It's not bad. He plays here a ton. Not well, though. Oh, my God. He has 11 starts. He's never finished better than T43. No, thanks. Nope. Mm. But I will say, just at this point, before we get to the 6K range, this is kind of a nice field. You know, we've had some struggles with the fields in the fall events so far. They've, They've gotten there's been a really big fall off. And one of the things I'm enjoying about this field is you have guys even down into the 6K range who I think are very playable. I'm I'm glad you said that because I didn't know if I was just like a sicko earlier today when I was like, I like this field. Like this is a pretty this is a pretty fun, deep field. I know that not everybody's gonna get jacked up over Troy Merritt in the bottom of the 7K range, but he's got back to back top tens and yeah. He comes here a lot. Like, what what else do you want? Well, the the point, it's not even about just Troy Merritt, right? He's this is a player with back-to-back top tens who's at seven thousand dollars flat in in a a FedEx Cup fall event where you know the fields are supposed to have big drop-offs. All these guys are supposed to be taking time off. And he is playing great golf and at seven thousand flat. It just it means you got options all over the place, which is fun. (sighs) <sighs> you're Six still days. a sicko. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Oh, Jake in the chat reminded me that Martin Laird. Yes. He chipped in from a bunker. I think on 17, no, might've been earlier in the round, but it was, he was, he was plugged under the lip of the bunker. It, he would have done good to make bogey and he, and he hold it. And, and I'm, and I just knew then every, it was a star. He, he did something else silly too, where I think he sprayed it on 17 over uh, right of the tree on the par three, hit it over the tree and made like a 20 footer for par. It was stars aligning Martin Laird. It could happen again. Don't, don't, don't even six, six thousand dollar range. A lot of names at the top 6,900. Carl Yuan, Carson Young, Grayson Sig, Michael Kim, Nate Lashley, Stuart Sink. The bottom of this range, flat $6,000, you'll see such names as Brian Stewart, Michael Gligic, Tommy Ganey, but the name that will catch a ton of uh, eyeballs and a ton of oxygen this week is Lexi Thompson. She's $6,100, Greg. Uh, Obviously, no PGA Tour experience because she plays on the LPGA tour and she's going to become the seventh woman to tee it up on the PGA tour this week. And do you want to just start there? What, what, what is a, a realistic expectation for a nearly min price Lexi Thompson? The, the issue here is you, you look at 
Lexi Thompson's game. Um, and it's a phenomenal game on the LPGA tour. She's a great ball striker. I mean, on any, she's just a great ball striker. The area where she really struggles is on the greens. And when you look at the correlation that you have, Rick, um, for this golf course, and you look at who has done really well here in the past, it has a tendency of being great putters. Um, so my issue with Lexi this week is what happens on the greens. And you talk about getting to seven under on a 7,200 yard golf course as a shorter hitter. Now she's going to, she's become a shorter hitter just by playing in a different tournament this week. And it, it accentuates her, her weakness a little bit. Um, so I, it's not a play for me in DFS, uh, but it's certainly a, a watch and a, and a root for. Yeah, I'm excited. I'll follow her around. I'm excited to see what she does. I, I think you nailed it. So, so when you look at $6,100, you'd be pretty happy if she made the cut, right? $6,100. Yeah. If you make the cut, great. Uh, the, the industry has laid, uh, anywhere between 10 to one and 25 to one that she makes the cut, um, which is a, a pretty sizable, uh, number against her. And I think it's what you mentioned. Yes. She's going to be the shortest hitter out here. Um, but I actually don't even think that's going to be a problem this week. She has not putted well. She has not played well. And they're the the short game areas are they're not difficult they're a little bit tricky you have to be just you got to be just comp competent enough around the greens and i i think there's a path to her short game costing her quite a bit around here right you know and, and again it it's um you have to consider this is one of those weeks where well let, let's fast forward to next week we're doing this dfs show next week and we're analyzing players. There are going to be players who miss the cut who we are not worried about at all because they shot five under and the cut was six under. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, well, okay, your your game isn't in, a, in bad shape here. You've got to shoot seven under over two days to make the cut. You might have been waiting just a day away from shooting 61. And you missed the cut because a couple putts didn't fall. It, it's hard to make the cut in these shootouts. And in order to perform in a shootout like this, you got to make putts. And it's hard for me to envision Lexi having a career putting week on the PGA tour with those whole locations and those kind of green speeds. It's just, it's hard for me to foresee that. So I'm probably staying away in a uh, DFS situation. Uh, other golfers in the 6K range that you might be willing to take the risk on, Greg. Who are we thinking about here? Yeah, I think there's a lot of options. Um, up near the top, I'm interested in EVR and Peter Malnati. They're at both at 6,800. Uh, um, Tyler Duncan is also at 6,800 who caught my eye. And then there's a couple guys, maybe we'll save these for later, but down in the, I believe, 64, yeah, $6,400 range, I got a couple guys there too. Um, but let's start with Malnati because what we just talked about with Lexi Thompson, you have to be able to putt well. Mm-hmm. Um, Malnati is a great putter, and that's kind of how he stayed on the PGA Tour. The putting has been okay of late. The finishing positions for this range pretty pretty good. Pretty good at the Fortinet. Made the cut last week. 
been very pale in the ball striking. So I, I like, I look at this profile and I, I see it as, as a positive. And you look at what he's done on this golf course, like you have up right now. And there's been some, a couple of nice high finishes, which is great. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is an interesting range. You know, the top area has um, a Harry Hall as well, sixty-seven hundred Summerlin guy. Played here twice, eighth and fifteenth. Even without form, he he's been able to kind of get things get things going. And where where I wonder if we're circling some of the similar names at sixty-four hundred. Are you going to say Kel- Kelly Craft? Yeah, yeah, Kelly Craft. That's that's the guy. I I am like. I was, you know, going through the field, checking everything out. This, this is good, Craig. This is good. <laughs> I know this is normally where you start to say, "Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go through a little faster," because uh, there's probably nothing here. And all of a sudden, Kelly Craft pops up and really catches your eye. Tied 16th at the Sanderson, tied 25th at the Fortinet. That was all after the layoff to the Wyndham where he came and tied 23rd, uh, tied 33rd rather, gained strokes approaching the green in all of those events, gained strokes putting in all of those events, and had some pretty good putting success deep into the year. I mean, this is, it almost feels like a, like it's too, why, why is he 6,400? Yeah, I mean, I guess, uh, I guess it's because the, there's been a longer run of of not much success, but this dates back to Travelers, where he has played much better since the Travelers. He's gotten better almost every single week, and now we are getting uh, a pretty darn good version of him heading into this week. I, I, I sixty four hundred bucks. You're not asking all that much from him. Now the the record here is not great, but you do see a couple of WDs. Um. WDs come for a few reasons. One injury, um, the other rain delays, that kind of situation. You're not getting that here. Uh, so a WD in this case is coming from a game that just isn't working. I got to get, I got to go to the range kind of thing. I got to get out of here. (laughs) Right. It's not, I can't stand this golf course. I just, I need, this is about, I need to work on me. So I I, uh, I appreciate the record. I, I look at this record. I think this is a much better player. I'm willing to overlook it at 6,400. The other guy down here at 6,400 was uh, Robert Streb, who has my attention as well. Um, again, very pale. You see the, we talked about him at the Fortinet and it didn't turn out great, but T, T35 last week and the record here, he has a T4 and a T10 here. Uh, and a couple of other nice finishes as well. Every year up until last year, he's gained strokes putting here um, at Summerlin. So I, I'm, I, I almost feel like Bob Streb down here is a safe play at 6,400. Bobby Streb, 6,400 bucks. I think I am mostly out of golfers in this range. I think I think we both circle Kelly Craft. I think that I would play a $6,700 hometown uh, Harry Hall, who's had great success here. And I don't know how uh, EV, you mentioned EVR and and Malnati. I'm I'm cool with both of those. And I don't want to I don't want to mess too much with anybody else. Yeah, yeah. I think that's kind of 
kind of it. Maybe if you needed somebody else, Tyler Duncan, but I don't think you really need too many pivots down here. If you're going to play EVR, you're going to be fine. Right. You now you play Malnati, you'll be fine. Okay. Uh, anything else before we bop on out of here for the day? Rick, it's been a pleasure. I think that's all I got. Absolute pleasure. Uh, if you're going to be out there, come say hello. Come find me. I'll be out there. And uh, yeah, we'll see how it goes. Looking forward to it. Enjoy. It's going to be uh, great. It, it's just great watching these guys up close and personal. It, it it's a um, really impressive experience. They, so, they, I know they you'll enjoy. They play a different game. It's it's so sick. Um, yeah. All right. Big thanks, Bruce. Josh is all the hard work behind the scenes. We'll be back Tuesday for the mega preview pod Sunday for the recap. You can find Greg on the Twitter slash X at the real GFD. You can find me at Rick run. Good. This has been the first cut. We'll catch you next time. We'll be right back. 